Welcome to episode number 321 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast perfect for all experience levels, whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the show for you. My name is Ryan. I'm Michael. And I'm Jill. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we will be taking Fedora 38 for a test drive and giving our opinion on the latest release from the fine folks over there at Fedora. Then we take a look at AI guardrails, an open source project from NVIDIA. NVIDIA and an open source project? I couldn't yeah, even say it right. right. Did I you know. see? <laughs> I was tripping over it. It's like those things can't be together. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week in our community feedback, we have feedback from Broken Canoe. I don't think that's a real name. I'm pretty I sure. I mean, it, it could be. Depends could on be. where they're from, I suppose. Yeah. If you want to send in your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch or send us an email, join our forum. Plus, we're on Discord. So if you want to hang out, game with the community, chat about Linux, chat about fitness, chat about any topic you want, go to Discord right now. Check out tuxdigital.com slash Discord. Broken Canoe goes on to say, hi, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your show and everything you do to support and promote Linux. As a visually impaired user, Windows stopped being an option after Windows 8 obfuscated critical UI components. And contrary to Steven Sinofsky's, I don't know how to say that last Sinofsky's, name. Sinofsky's, I think. There you go. Right. No compromise mantra compromised on everything and through those with low vision or blindness under the bus. I use KDE Plasma now and adjust and create my own high contrast themes depending on how my vision is on that particular day. Linux has been a joy to use and allows me to keep computing without that compromise on security, privacy, or basic values of freedom and common good. Keep doing what you do. You're so very much needed and appreciated. Well, I love this email from Broken yeah. New. Thank you for sending this in. We appreciate you taking the time to send us this email. I think it's really interesting. We've received a lot of emails in the past and over the years from the visually impaired community mentioning how Linux has not been as focused on supporting these tools as effectively as Windows or more specifically, I think people use Apple as an example quite a bit here. So I think it's amazing to get this email now that shows some things have improved in this category for certain individuals. And I think there's still a lot more work to be done, um, but there is progress and progress makes me happy, very happy to know that things are getting better in the Linux community as this goes. But Jill, you also have visual impairment. So this is something yeah. that, you know, you have personal experience with. What do you think about Linux and how it's progressed in this arena? Oh, it's progressed tremendously. And, and the tools for us that are partially sighted, it's, it's been really, really uh, great. Uh, people who have uh, full blindness, some of those tools are still not up to par yet, but they're getting so much better. And I've been seeing a real push in the last few years, which has been awesome. And this is so great to hear, Broken Canoe. You know, like you, I have limited vision, too, that changes each day, and I often use screen readers like eSpeak and screen magnifiers like Magnus, and I adjust my desktop theming as well for higher contrast depending on my vision that day. Like this morning when I woke up, yes, I have high contrast on right now <laughs> to do the show. Interesting. <laughs> it's interesting and, that it's a day-by-day yeah. day thing because that's not what you yeah. think about typically or what I thought about with visual impairments, kind of like you kind of think of it as this visual impairment that's always there, but it changes. Like your vision yeah. is different each day mm. and therefore your needs for your machine and what Change themes and daily. things you're using are changing on a daily basis. So the ability to quickly access those effectively becomes super important, which is yeah. something I've never thought very about cool. before. Yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. very, that's a very interesting point, especially considering like different desktop environments have different ways of doing themes and makes it, some make it easier, some make it more difficult. So yes. uh, I'm even more impressed that Jill is using window maker. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 in fact, right now I'm on window maker in high contrast mode. And uh, that that really helped me today. <laughs> and but 
Uh, like uh, Broken Canoe was saying, KDE has really, really gotten good as far as mm. uh, you know the tools for the visually impaired. And I've been using KDE a lot on my Steam Deck. So I can, I can vouch for that. That has improved drastically. <laughs> you know, this is such an important part of Linux's mission, open source mission overall. We talk about it in kind of closing the digital divide sometimes from a fiscal standpoint of people who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to, to pay for something like Adobe or these other products or pay for these licenses. Open source offers them the ability to still get involved. But I also think about it from an impairment or disability standpoint of we should be that too, right? That should be something mm -hmm. that open source yeah. in Linux is far above and beyond the competitors in because it's helping again, close that divide between yeah. uh, these other companies who may Absolutely. be focusing on a general population and we're just focused on making sure it's accessible for everyone. So I hope it continues. KDE, Michael, you get another feather in your cap for KDE there. Yeah. Since it was yeah. specifically it. called yeah. out. Uh, as a lot of work being done there. So that's pretty awesome. And I know there's a lot of uh, great projects out there to help. Also, KDE's zoom effect is fantastic. Right? A lot of people don't even know it's a thing. Where yeah. Because there's a, there's magnifiers that you need in most desktop environments where you can have like this window that shows the magnific magnification of a certain section. Whereas in KDE Plasma, if you hit the super key and then plus or minus on your keyboard, it will zoom in the entire thing. So it makes it a lot easier because you don't have to worry about like where you're zooming. You just activate the zoom, move your mouse around, and it will follow where your mouse is, and you can zoom in the entire desktop. It's really nice. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I remember years ago, I I have friends that are even you know worse off than I am. That I was I was helping with Linux, and they were just even though it it wasn't you know the zoom uh, magnification programs weren't up to par. They were just amazed that it was free. Oh, there's something free I can buy instead of spending, point. you yeah. know, thousands of dollars for Zoom text <laughs> on Windows. So wow. thousands of dollars is that yeah, how much it was? That's how much. Yeah, they 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 have improved that. There's monthly subscriptions now, but oh. yeah, it used to another cost another monthly subscription. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> monthly subscriptions at this point are in the thousands just to yeah. enjoy the basics, like. Hey, this is a completely different topic, but I just have to get on the soapbox for one second. Is anyone else annoyed that now the cord cutting and cable is more expensive to do streaming services than if you just had cable at this point? It's Yes. It depends on how many uh, yeah, platforms how many you have services. and how many. Yeah. If, if you do like the YouTube Live or Sling or what are those? You're basically paying for the what you were already paying for. Yeah, so. like YouTube TV became seventy four ninety nine a month or something now, yeah. and then if you have HBO Max or Netflix or any of these other, and they all just keep raising the price to the point where we've basically ruined the whole reason everyone's going there. And then there was this person I was talking to the other day, another complete subject change, but kind of close. It was talking about CDs and music, and that they're a huge collector of CDs, and they think CDs are going to make a good big comeback. And physical media is going to make a good comeback. So I'm wondering, on behalf all, of all the TikTok users, what's a CD? A CD is this <laughs> device that holds with lasers. Uh, oh, okay. Information. <laughs> lasers. Yeah, got it, yeah. Got it's it. got freaking lasers. Okay, Michael. It's a it's a media storage platform that we used to use back in the day. But and this person was predicting that all the physical stuff's going to come back because people are basically going to be looking for that physical attachment that's yeah. been lost ever since the digital revolution. And I don't necessarily think their prediction will come true. I think we're so far down this road, I don't know, but it was interesting and made me think. You have to think about it. Think outside the <laughs> bun, Ryan. Yeah. I think that there are likelihoods that this is going to be somewhat action actionable in terms of this will happen to some degree for some people. Like vinyl. And, I, and yet, yep. personally, I can't wait for the eight tracks to come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah me yes. Me too. I love. Hey, it I would was give kidding. My but Jill probably machine. does have tons of eight tracks. Yeah, she just said she does. Yeah. Yes. And vinyl has made a huge comeback. It's been the hipster thing to collect now because you know so many of the young young people want want to have physical media. Yep. See, yeah. you hear it's that, already Ryan? started. You happening. are a hipster with your vinyl collection. Yeah, I, I'm fine with being called and a hipster then, with my vinyl collection. No, I love my vinyl. No, no, no. I mean, I was collecting it when I was a baby, so so, and it was new then. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just a hipster that wasn't around when I was a baby, but I enjoy vinyl. And listen, I hope I this cool do. stuff does come back because yeah. I don't know, all these streaming services and stuff. Everyone, hey, Ryan, maybe where that did could we be a whole start episode on this yeah. feedback before because we went on these tangents? Where was it? Jill for- mentioned monthly subscription <laughs> for the text yeah. thing. And that got me angry thinking about all the monthly subscription bills that I'm right, getting. Right, right. But where and did we start from? It's me. more what than cable. The, what was the first topic? The first topic was... Uh, Accessibility. Yes. You can't yeah. remember what it was. <laughs> Listen, Broken Canoe, this is our show. We're weird this way. But thank you for the awesome thank email. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to Linode for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Visit linode.com slash tux to get started. That's linode.com slash T-U-X and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. Linode provides solutions and services to accelerate innovation and you can do all sorts of stuff with this. Like You can build things yourself on their servers because they have a lot of powerful servers, but they also have these one-click apps in their app marketplace, which is arguably the best thing about this because for me, as a person who is technical but is also lazy, it makes it really easy to set up Plesk and WordPress or Valheim and Minecraft servers. It's also, not about being lazy, Michael. It's about working efficiency. smarter and efficiency. Yes, like, exactly. I can go build the server myself, but if there's a one-click app, of course, of course I'm doing we're gonna do it that way. Yeah, of Linode. course. Yeah, that's true. Also, Linode even has VPN-friendly virtual servers, so you can create secure connections over the internet for protecting you on public Wi-Fi, like if you're at a hotel or an airport or a cafe or wherever else. And if that wasn't enough. Every plan comes with Linode's awesome customer service. That is human-powered support. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say. What do I mean by human-powered? What I mean is that a human is involved in the support. Crazy, right? So if you need help, you can. someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7-365. So visit linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X to create your account. And if you use that URL, you're going to be letting them know that we sent you, which is, of course, good for us, but also good for you because you're going to get a 60-day $100 free credit when you go to d- linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X to get started on Linode's awesome cloud platform. So while everyone else in the world, Michael, I'm going to compare us to everyone else in the world and show our superiority here for a moment. I'm going to get on a soapbox. You know what everyone else does? Whatever we're a new release about. of Fedora 38 comes out. They download it. They're like, oh, this is content. They instantly make a video the same day, and they've only like clicked around the GUI desktop for yeah, a few seconds. Yeah, they've looked at it for 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, yeah, here, here's the features. And uh, We're not doing that. And Fedora 38 released on April 17th, but... We spent the time to test drive it. So, to Michael's also unheard of amazement, like Michael loves when I do this. I distro hopped, of course, before uh, this show, and distro hopped multiple <laughs> times this week into different varieties of Fedora 38, so that we could bring to the people, Michael, we could whisper sweet nothings in their ear about the greatness <laughs> of what Fedora 38 is with real live testing. Here. Well, what's great about this is that clearly this extreme distro hop did not backfire because I didn't know you even did that until just now. Because I know you were testing around all week, but I didn't know you actually did it th- today. And since you had stuff set up and were able to do the things you needed to do, I didn't notice it. So that's a good sign for Fedora hey. for sure. I mean, that just shows you the part. One of the main things I have to have besides a browser to do this show because we have such amazing servers, a lot of them powered by Linode, by the way, uh, that we can just connect to as long as you have internet is I need to be able to use QWP graph in order to take the patrons audio and be able to mix it in. But since Fedora 38 has all of that built in perfectly, the ability to do the mixes and minuses and install QWP graph immediately and audacity, of course, it, it's not really a risk at all to distro hop with Fedora and it's extremely stable. So yeah, I had no fear. Now, if I was doing an Arch install, as much as I love Arch, we might still... If you were doing an Arch install as an, as an extreme show. distro hop, I would, we, you would be kicked off the show. <laughs> 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 all right, it's not about Arch, Michael. Would you quit bringing up Arch? This is about Fedora. So oh, amazing I see. Folks That's my over- bad for bringing it up, yeah. <laughs> Over at Fedora have given us quite a bit to sink our teeth into. So I want to talk about some of the highlights and then we'll get into the testing. So they've got a new website. 
which is important. Doesn't sound important. You can be like, so what website? But it's important. I think the new website, the overhaul, it's very clean. It's very polished. Mm -hmm. Looks modern. They have more enhancements coming down the road. But I could tell you there are certain times people tell me, hey, go check out this distro. And I go to their website and I instantly am like, oh, I don't I know, know exactly I what you yeah. mean. You're referring to Linux Mint for 13 years. Yeah, the old Linux Mint website. Yes. Like you would go there and you're like, this is not going to be, if you don't already know the product, this is not going to be a good experience. The, the the new Linux Mint website is actually pretty good. Just be clear, they yes. did improve it, mm -hmm. but it did take 13 years for them to finally make it a good looking website. Yeah, that's better late that's than a little never. bit too. No, 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 no. Better that, never than late. No, no, no. Better late than never is true, but 13 years too late is a, is too late. Like at better least late every than never, couple of years. As long years. as it's within five years. <laughs> There you go. There okay. you go. Just get like but, the but buffer shouldn't be 13 fedora. is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, Thanks, sorry, Jill. Jill. All right. Let's back to back to the main topic. Yes, yes, Jill. So the website's very clean. And one of the things I noticed is it's very easy to get to the desktop version and know where it's at in the various different distros than before. Whereas I learned how to navigate Fedora's website to get to the desktop part before but i don't think it was intuitive for a new user like fedora always presented itself to me its prior website is more of a server enterprise well they also had the solution. difference between fedoraproject.org and getfedora.com yes. get yeah, yeah, yeah. so there was yeah. a separate one was easier to use than the other and this is more of a merging of the two so it's a more modern approach and also an easier way to find everything and also they have it where if you go to the front page Everything is accessible. You go, you find the workstation or the server. And if you scroll down, you see all the spins Those and everything spins else as there. well. Yes. Yeah. The spins were so difficult. To that find was hard to website. find. Yeah. Yes. I had a, had issues being visually impaired trying to find the links for the spins yeah. at time. So mm. website's <laughs> not always a big deal for everyone, but I think it's a really big deal for a lot of new people coming in and, and those who may be looking for certain information and things going on. So I think they did a fantastic job there. Uh, we also have new spins. We have the Fedora Budgie spin. Yay. And the Sway right. Tiling Manager spin as well to check out. And we even have something for those wanting to try Fedora Linux on their mobile devices because Fedora 38 has a Bosch image as well, which is a Wayland shell for mobile devices based on GNOME. So everything cool. you need right there. So I want to talk about the spins real quick. So I tested Fedora Budgie and Fedora KDE and Fedora Workstation. Look at and you. I wanted to talk about Fedora Budgie because I think Fedora Budgie is a fantastic new spin. I mean, I've always been a fan of Budgie, but to have one that's Budgie and then Fedora, and then also it's being maintained by one the lead project manager for Budgie, I mean, this is a great combination. So if somebody wants to try out Fedora and they're not necessarily a fan of GNOME and they haven't found the true wonders and enlightenment that KDE offers, then Budgie is a fantastic spin to check out. I would agree with that. The budgie experience to me, you mentioned earlier before the show started, I was like, hey, you liked it so much. Are you going to switch from KDE? And of course, we knew the answer was no, because you're a KDE fanboy. But, no, but you did say this is the Fedora I would recommend to new people wanting to mm -hmm. try Fedora out. Yeah. That that's the desktop environment you would suggest to them. And I think that says a lot about the work that Budgie's done. So it's interesting that you brought you brought it up because I wasn't going to like let everybody know that because everybody is fully aware that KDE is my favorite and I still stand by that KDE is the best desktop environment and also the best they have the best applications in some cases too. He's very but biased. I'm not biased. That's very unbiased. But I will say that Budgie is a fantastic beginner desktop environment because it has a lot of modern approaches, but also simplified, and it has a traditional layout for paradigm that people can are used to already if they come in from Windows, so they can switch in and easily have access and know how to use everything. And that's kind of true for Plasma as well, but the Plasma system is a little more complicated in how things work, and the budgie system is a little bit more straightforward and simple, so it might be easier for people to get started. And that's why I think that Fedora Budgie is a good option for that. However, I will say that Fedora KDE is a fantastic implementation of KDE because they just they make some tweaks that I think KDE themselves should do, but Fedora has some tweaks that just make it, you know, an easier experience overall. Well, Michael, that's an interesting point, but we all know the true king of all desktop environments is GNOME. 
And so I spent my time with Gnome this week. And How do we all know it if I just said the opposite of that? Um, <laughs> that seems all inaccurate. All human beings know Gnome is the leader. I mean, you can't argue it's the most popular desktop environment of all Linux. So You, can, you can't argue that it's the most popular, but you can have a very long discussion of why. <laughs> well, we've never had that discussion of why. But in GNOME 44, you get a new lock screen, Michael, which is going to change everything. Great. Mm-hmm. You get a uh, backgrounds app. background apps that yeah. don't work. No, Perfect. that's not true. I'm Right now, I have background apps running. All I have to do is go down to the right corner of my screen. Mm-hmm. I have to click on the notification panel. Then there's mm-hmm. a little thing on the bottom that says background apps. I click on that, and then it tells me there's apps in the background running, which right is, are not specifically. Is it showing what apps are running, or is it just says that apps are running? Well, honestly, right now it's actually not telling me anything's running in the background, and there is stuff running in the background like Discord. So it's not working currently right now. But when it does work, well, it's see that's the thing, amazing. Ryan. It's not probably going to work because that requires an application to implement a specific API to work with that functionality, which means it's not really a thing. It doesn't matter because everything that we want to work with Discord and Steam and et cetera are not going to be okay, doing Okay, uh, well, new new <laughs> wallpapers and improvements to accessibility is there too. Well, okay, face. accessibility wins. There you go. Yeah, That's improvement. Go. That's good. Yeah, we got something in there. Uh, in and addition, wallpapers. <laughs> and wallpapers. Okay, so it's a hard sale on the GNOME thing but Gnome's good but that 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 whole thing people talking about the background apps just makes me laugh because it's like everybody was wanting them to do something about it and then this is kind of like them saying they are but not really well i'm happy they didn't die on the hill they're still on that hill and they're refusing to leave but they like took a step to a rock just they're standing on the cliff right now and that's not So hopefully we'll get them to actually introduce actual task app indicators in the future. But anyways, um, in addition, enabling third-party repositories now enables an unfiltered view of applications on Flathub. This is probably the the biggest change. Yeah, like this is the one of the biggest changes for for all of Fedora to be able to easily get access to the Flathub and not have to worry about you know disabling the filter or really just adding extra access. And it's going to be really good for people who are new to Fedora because they don't have to do anything special to get access to everything on Flathub. Yeah. Yep. And all all the apps are there, including the proprietary ones, which is a big change. Yeah, it's a absolutely. Big change. Yeah, for Fedora. Which is a good change for those who are uh, curious what we think about proprietary. Ryan loves proprietary; it's Love his it. favorite thing. And uh, <laughs> we actually far, had a, but okay. We had we had a very long discussion about how he's on the wrong side of the bridge when it comes to this topic such and. a weird history it's almost like you're pulling orion where you're taking actual facts <laughs> and you're completely twisting them into fallacies i appreciate I like the that you called it pulling orion too pulling orion yeah um and ryan said none of those things by the way although i do appreciate the fact that they include proprietary apps in there there are people who need it there are businesses mm-hmm. who need it and while yes. it's great to always go with the open source option sometimes it's not an option for everybody. So let's make it easy for people to use Linux and then we can convince exactly. those developers to go open source down the road. Micro DNF, the lighter weight version of the default package manager is replaced by DNF5. Mm-hmm. And packages are now built with stricter compiler flags that protect against buffer overflows. And the RPM package manager uses the Sequoia-based open PGP parser instead of its own implementation. You could see I took that directly off of Fedora Magazine's write-up because I have no idea what that means, but it sounds cool. It sounds well, really it's, cool. It's, Parsers it's really, and things. It's a really and, large uh, yeah. open PGP parser. I base that on the fact that it's named Sequoia. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there are many articles discussing its features and a bunch of technical details and all of that, but how does it actually run? How has our experience been utilizing Fedora 38 all week. So again, I appreciate being in GNOME and having an option for background app notifications. So that was one of the first things I tested. You're trying way too hard on that one. Okay. <laughs> um, You're going to lose on that, that particular topic. Fedora 38 <laughs> is what I expected. It's super stable. Yeah. It's hard to even tell once I was upgraded 
that I actually even upgraded. The upgrade went flawlessly. I went back into my system. Everything I was wanting for the most part worked. There were a couple issues that I hoped would go away that aren't Fedora specific, but it doesn't happen in Ubuntu. So I want to mention them here because I think it needs to be fixed. The YubiKey issue is still there. Hmm. I use my YubiKey all the time. And for some reason in Fedora, when you have Firefox open and you have your YubiKey plugged in, it will constantly prompt you, please enter the password for the PKCS number 11 token PIV2 password each time. And it's really freaking annoying. Like one of the best parts of being on Ubuntu was not getting that message in Firefox every time my YubiKey was plugged in. Now, if I pull my YubiKey out, guess what? The message is no longer there, but that kind of defeats the purpose of having YubiKey in the first place. So um, I probably a Firefox issue, maybe not a Fedora issue, but it only happens in Fedora right now. So that would be great if they could fix that. Here's the, here's the other thing that was broke. And this one's become a bigger deal for me talking about my love for proprietary software. Uh, wow, Michael, you threw that in, right? As you, did you read my comments and then decide to throw that proprietary thing? Cause now it's going to look like I do love proprietary software. Cause see, the next see, thing I'm going to talk about is the answer to that question. Is yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so DaVinci resolve doesn't launch at all for me in Fedora 38. Um, it, I didn't go through all of the terminal to see exactly what's stopping it, but uh, again, DaVinci Resolve works in Ubuntu and other distros, but not launching in Fedora 38. And I did see a Reddit article out there. Somebody posted that they were having this problem and there's some workaround or some specific package or something that uh, was updated maybe with Mesa that's stopping mm. it. I'm not sure. Um, but in any case, uh, DaVinci Resolve not launching is kind of a big deal. So a couple applications that are broken and or have some annoying pop-ups like the YubiKey. But otherwise, all the other functionality of the system worked fine. And yeah. the upgrade was flawless. Yeah. The upgrade for me was flawless. I went, um, I upgraded to Fedora 38 on my Fedora 37 box, and it went smooth as usual. In fact, I think it seems like the installer is even faster now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that, that is something I noticed. And as with previous releases, I love the new wallpaper for Fedora 38. Wallpaper default. is important, Michael. Yes, it is. I the agree. It one is has, nice. has white puffy clouds and a soft blue sky overlooking a green landscape. And it's just beautiful. They've been yeah. nailing the wallpapers, you know, the last few releases. I just love them. And if you like a vanilla GNOME 44 experience, then Boy, Fedora 38 it has you covered. <laughs> Boy, do I. <laughs> and I also played with the Fedora budgie for a bit, and it was very stable too, which was really nice because sometimes budgie isn't really stable on all all the other distros. So, mm. and I was noticing that it was really, really stable. That's good. So, That's really good yeah. Michael, how <laughs> did your test go? Well, I was using Budgie Workstation with GNOME and and KDE uh, periodically throughout the week. And I every time I would test Budgie and KDE, I would realize that these are the best desktop environments, with KDE being the top one. And then GNOME was kind of like, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a great, Fedora GNOME is a very good experience with GNOME. It's one of the best, I would say. And I, mm -hmm. I do like the it fact is. that it's vanilla because it allows you to customize it however you want it to be. So if you if you don't necessarily like the the distributions that are using GNOME and then to highly tweaking them to their opinion, you can use the Fedora approach because they just basically give you GNOME and say change however you want to. Yeah. Now I will say that some of those some of the issues I have with Fedora GNOME isn't really Fedora's fault. It's more GNOME's fault because of the fact that the default setups of GNOME is what Fedora uses and the default setup of GNOME is not ideal for me because extensions are not accessible by default and they should be. You have to jump through a hoop to activate extensions. And until GNOME actually changes this, I will continue to bring this up because this is annoying for people who are beginners to the desktop environment. Now, outside of that, GNOME Fedora is a fantastic experience and I have been using Fedora GNOME on my laptop for quite a while. And this is because a, uh, a long time ago when I was trying to, uh, I got a new laptop and I tried to put Linux on it. It wasn't supported because of the hardware at the time. And 
then Ryan decided to put Fedora on the laptop. And I was like, yeah, great. Thanks. We got it. This was when I got it at Ryan's when I was over at Ryan's place. So he put Fedora on there Naturally. and did not, and did not tell me that GNOME was going to be put on there. <laughs> so I started using it and I just left it on there the whole time. So it still has Fedora GNOME on the laptop. I played off of your laziness. I knew you, you wouldn't did. change it. And so therefore it would stay forever. <laughs> that is a hundred percent what happened. Yes. I would upgrade the system, but it would just I would just click the upgrade button in the laptop and that way it would still be yeah. Fedora Gnome. So he <laughs> maliciously tricked maliciously. me into using <laughs> but it has been a great experience and I have uh seen a lot of benefits using GNOME. So I will say that I would put GNOME at a pretty high level of desktop environments. Now, clearly, KDE is going to be at the highest because Plasma is the best desktop environment ever created, in my opinion. And that is because I love to be able to customize it to work however I want. But not everybody wants to customize their desktop environment. Well, yeah, Ryan is a clear <laughs> example of I'm not raising that. my hand here. Ryan he's he's the one who uses default of everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But with that said, Budgie is a great mix between the two. So it's it's a nice experience out of the box, but it also has a lo- some easy customization options and has everything there by default. So that's why I was saying earlier that I think Fedora Budgie is a good starting point for Budgie and maybe even a good starting point for Fedora because you, if you're not really a fan of the GNOME workflow, Fedora Budgie kind of implements that style of you know, GTK applications and all that sort of stuff in a more traditional paradigm. And I think that that's a nice balance. Look at that wording you use, traditional paradigm. That was an expensive sentence there, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Thank you. You Thank almost sounded like you knew what you were nice. talking about there. Man. Almost. You know what? Uh, one of the things I want to mention is that when I upgraded from Fedora 37 to 38 in GNOME, it did move over my extensions and enabled the ones that were still working. Yeah. Which I appreciated, like my dash to panel, because that's I, I like, use that yes. too, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> but there were other extensions that have, if I noticed, weren't there anymore, and they were either broken or outdated, and it automatically turned them off, which I appreciate the fact that it did that. Um, but I still have Gtile working. I have Vitals working, which kind of tells me some system specs and things in the panel. Um, but it turned off a couple of the others that I've had this installation of Fedora for for a while, this particular one and like DD term and sound input and output device chooser and things that you no longer necessarily need anymore because of the enhancements they've made to GNOME, like the sound output chooser and things. I can now click on, you know, the arrow next to the volume and the indicator and I could choose sound settings right from there. So these are some enhancements that GNOME's made that has made some of these extensions no longer necessary and needed. Over Which is years. good. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Uh, so I want to I want to throw some love out there for doing that as, as long as they are still working on this app indicator thing. But it's better. It's better yeah, than what we had better. before, which was nothing, but it's a little bit better. And I love the quick <laughs> quick menu in the in yeah. right hand side. Easily access yes. to the all new the quick settings. Menu is good. Is awesome. Yeah. That was a really big improvement. I really like the fact that they made it so easy to switch between Bluetooth devices because it was Oh, annoying. yeah. And sound devices. You had to devices. open up the system settings uh, and then change it. Now you can just click it. You still yeah. have to use the system settings to add new devices, but yeah. in order to switch and connect, it's much easier now, which I very much appreciated. Yeah, sound, networking, Wi-Fi, Ethernet, it's it's all right there now. It's so much easier, so much so quicker. At the end, what I appreciate about what the Fedora team has done is I feel like in trying the spins and trying Fedora Vanilla, we call it, whatever, with the standard uh, workstation GNOME, is that you get that same stable experience across all the desktops. I feel like there's mm-hmm. equity between all of them. And a lot mm-hmm. of distros that throw in a lot of desktop choices you're not getting that same experience as you move across the True. various environments. Yeah. You get a, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, we have a KDE version and it's horrific experience <laughs> uh, compared to their vanilla. So I appreciate that Fedora has found a way to kind of standardize the feel of the spins. So I feel very mm-hmm. confident I could use Sway, I could use Budgie, I could use Gnome or KDE and have a very stable foundation for all of those and they would be well planned out. At least yeah. that's how it felt to me in 38. And and going back to Fedora 38 was was really nice because I use Fedora on some of my machines 
And I also have other machines that are running Ubuntu, uh, various flavors, and I have other machines that are using other distributions. And this, not because I have tons of machines, it's called Drives. For those who are curious, I have a, a, a video on my channel showing, showing you how to do multi-boots of one system. And you can have multiple mm -hmm. drives. So you can just swap them in and out. And that's how, it's really just one computer that has like six different drives. But with that said, going back to Fedora with the new version of Fedora is like, just a really nice experience because all the stuff that I miss on some distributions, like having easy access pipewire, like pipewire. Pipe. Also, DNF in a way is one of my favorite things because package management is not really that much of a thing that people talk about when they refer to reviewing distributions. But I think it kind of should be because DNF is such a really good package manager yeah. that you can easily do things like quick shortcuts of like. You know, if you wanted to install something, you can just push DNF in, I-N, and then the name of the package, and that's it. You don't have to go through this process of other stuff. And real quick, comparing, I probably shouldn't compare it, but compare apt and DNF, and you have apt does this apt update, apt upgrade, and you have to run them manually back to back, or do the command with the and and symbol. Whereas DNF, you run DNF upgrade, and if it needs to update the resources, it just does it automatically and then continues on. That is such a nice convenience that once I realized DNF could do that, going to another distribution and coming back, it is very nice to have all these kinds of you know conveniences and stuff being provided again. So it's like I'm going back to home, you know, going back home into Fedora. Wow. Yeah. Oh. You've hung your Fedora in your home. That's the visual <laughs> I got. You walked in the door hung your fedora, and you said, I'm here, I'm home. I'm home. In, in Gnome. No. Um, you, you almost my had a visual, good picture. My visual was off a yeah, little bit. You were painting a, a, a very good picture, and then you just like threw <laughs> some like random paint on it, like abstract paint on it. Okay, before we move on, there's, there's one more thing I want to mention for the website creators who did a very, very good job. There's one thing on the website I really want you all to consider changing, please with a cherry on top. And that mm. is when you go down to the want more Fedora options and you click on Fedora spins, it's not actually clickable. You have to go down to the learn more to click it. Ah, uh, yeah. And I feel like- I think that's true for all of those different sections, I, isn't it? Yes, I went and I clicked all of them. Yeah, all the boxes And you, should you be tricked clickable. me, you got me April Fools, but they're not clickable. And I'm like, why isn't it clickable? Is something broken with my browser? Is it not working? And then I see this little learn more text and I'm like, really? So if we could hyperlink the title there, it would be mwah, perfection, perfection. It's also possible to hyperlink the entire box itself. Like that would be just easier so that anywhere they're on it, just, you know, let yeah. make it make it a it's giant a button. Thing. Just a little yeah. thing. Just a little, little thing. Yeah, that's nit that's nitpicking, Ryan. How dare you? Yeah, I just nitpicky blue. But Fedora 38 is awesome. <laughs> I had a great experience with it. And I'm honestly gonna be like finding hard to boot into anything else for a while again. Because mm -hmm. it's like once you yeah. try it and it's so good, but we gotta get the DaVinci Resolve thing working and uh, hopefully that it's probably on DaVinci's side, but who knows? Anyways. I mean, you know, DaVinci is not a hundred percent supported on Linux. They, anyway. they 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 promote that they are, but they're not completely so. Oh, believe me, I've been on that soapbox, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I installed on all of the different spins through all of the distro testing this week? The very first app I installed was Bitwarden because that allows me to get into all of the other applications I need. All of the servers and things we have on Linode and all of that, I need to get into Bitwarden to be able to access that stuff. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are safe and secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, and even automatically fill them in so you don't have to. You can access your data across many types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device. It's really important. Later in the show, this is going to come back up. That end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device is a really important part of what makes Bitwarden awesome. So you know that you're the only person with access to your data. So I want you to go right now. We've been talking about it for a long time on this show. 
We need you to go right now to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X and check them out. Get started. We still have people, Michael, in the audience that hear this show every week that say, oh, I'm using this other service. And then that service is all over the news for all the exploits and everything happening. And then they'll come in and be like, hey, anybody know any alternatives? Like, I don't know. We talk about one every single week called Bitwarden. And they have a $10 premium account that's going to get you a gigabyte of file storage two-step login with YubiKey U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authentication, TOTP, and Priority Customer Support, all for less than a dollar per month. Get bitwarden.com. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux and get started. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So we have some interesting news to talk about this week, and that is NVIDIA has created an open source project. I know, I, I know. Are you sure AI didn't write this and it's just terribly wrong? <laughs> it's possible. I mean, with NVIDIA, they, they could have just confused who NVIDIA was and they meant to be some other company. It was like Intel or something. You never know. Yeah. But it is interesting. For anyone who has dabbled with AI, like chat GPT services, there are some real concerns with the fact that it can spit out complete nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. And... It does so confidently. It's like Michael. Wait, what? (laughs) How dare you? You earlier you talked about how I was using expensive words, like I was doing that on purpose when I said traditional paradigm, and that's just preposterous. Preposterous. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, you know, of coworkers, uh, specifically you and other coworkers that spit nonsense confidently all the time, Michael. So. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. That that sentence there is nonsense. So let's talk about this in a more sensical way because NVIDIA has launched a plan to do something about this with their open source guardrails program called NEMO. I guess we oh. found NEMO. NEMO, yeah. This offers three types of guardrails. Topical guardrail, which keeps AI from responding to certain topics. The safety guardrail, which works to make sure that responses are accurate by making sure AI is using verified and trustworthy sources. What is a trustworthy source these days, though? That's what I was thinking. Like, how oh, do that's you, a great question. How do you too. determine that it's trustworthy was one of my concerns with the safety guardrail because everything has just been proving more and more lately to be untrustworthy sources. But this is one of the things I tell people when I went to college, I was already in the middle of my career. So I didn't get to start college right after high school like a lot of people. So I started in the middle of my career and there wasn't a lot I learned in college at all that I actually used in my job. The one thing though, I will tell you that I learned that was very valuable that helped me, wasn't worth like the 25 grand, but still very valuable, was sources, really making sure validating and checking your sources. And this is something that has just helped me tremendously through the rest of my life there when people will tell you some fantastical story about something and you're just automatically like, oh my gosh, that fits my exact bias and I believe it, that you stop and you go, hey, let me go look that up and see if it's actually true or if all of it's true or if only parts of it true and try to find verified sources. But I got to tell you, it's becoming harder and harder to find trustworthy sources because so much money is being made in opinion stuff and opinion-related news and things that a lot of these verified, trustworthy so-called places have kind of switched over into this opinion thing. So like, if Mm -hmm. you use them, you're not necessarily, the content they're producing is not even necessarily meant to be trustworthy as much as it is just to drive like clicks. I mean, there's also articles that you would see from a reputable source in terms of how like legacy wise they've been around for a hundred years or something. And they've always been providing news in the sense of reporting news. And you could see these opinion articles posted where they have a little tag that says, this is an opinion, not news or something like that. And that's happening more and more frequently. So the whole verified trusted sources kind of thing. That is interesting. And I'm curious who is verifying and what the criteria is. Uh, But also there's another guardrail that they have for security guardrail, which keeps people from connecting third-party apps or services to your AI chat system. Now, the cool thing about all of this is that it is open source. I know it's NVIDIA, but yeah, they do actually have open source projects 
not the one you want them to have, but they do have some. <laughs> so all their video GPU drivers are open source? That's the one that you'd want oh. them to have that uh, they do yeah. not. But guardrails is pretty cool. Like it's fully programmable, so you can customize it like any good open source software out there. They're making it available to anyone who wants to utilize it uh, to look in there. So when we ask about like what are the verified and trustworthy sources, you can actually go look through the code. Um, of course, this isn't a complete solution to the problems that are going to occur as we all try to adapt to this AI thing. And I love AI, by the way. I love ChatGPT. I love all of these. Even Google Bard I've been playing with. All of these are fascinating. Just so you know, me. people, when he says he loves AI, he's just basically making sure that the computer overlords, when they take over, they see this video. <laughs> they don't shoot and know that he's, a good, he's on the good side. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'll be like, go he, after he, Michael. He's making sure that Michael AI doesn't come to get him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I wrote AI. I know how important it is out there. By the way, someone in our community ported Michael AI into Rust code so that yeah. it could be included directly into the Linux kernel. kernel. And yeah. I want to tell you how much I appreciate <laughs> the fact of you helping me make the future we all want to live in. Uh, I love making, how that's even yeah. a thing. Like that's that's so amazing. Yeah, so we have so the greatest community in the world. <laughs> um, it does provide tools, I think, for companies to better protect users against garbage because people who are not smart enough to listen to this podcast and, and other places may just be told about chat GPT of like, hey, it can help you do your homework or hey, it can help you oh, in, yeah. your, in, in your work. And then they're using it, not realizing that it can create completely flawed and i mean massively flawed misinformation yes. that it can give you and the example i want to use is personal so here i am and there's this awesome two new linux laptops that release and i thought hey what if i used chat gpt to write the article comparing these devices i'm going to give it the links to the two articles and then I'm going to tell it, write me a segment on Destination Linux for these laptops to compare. And it created a fantastic looking segment. Like a well-written, inaccurate well -written. segment. <laughs> but then I knew it could have inaccuracies. So I asked Jill, I said, hey, can you go along with me, Jill, and go in there and fix any of the inaccuracies? And Jill's like, yeah, I found a bunch. I fixed them. It had like the wrong RAM. It had wrong resolution on one. I found a bunch and fixed it. And we, at that point, because we had humanly, you know, gone through it and looked into it, manually scrubbed it, we released it and we actually recorded it. Now, none of you but the patrons have actually heard that segment because, because we when checked again and realized we well, missed I checked a it few again things. and wrote <laughs> Michael a message things, yeah. and said, "You got to cut the whole segment." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, it's all wrong. Like, there's so many things wrong in it still. So this is also yeah. hilarious because at when he said we got to cut the whole thing, I was like, maybe I could fix it. I could just edit it and fix it. And then after about two minutes of editing, I, no, no, it's yeah. not. We're getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah. It took more time for us to go back and find the problems and and the, the fixes than it, than it did if we were just writing it. Yeah, I could have <laughs> wrote it a million times faster yeah. than if I had. So... It, it doesn't understand, you know, a lot of context and things. So it was pulling specs from older versions of lap of that laptop into, even though I gave it an article to reference and things, but that article actually referenced older laptops at times. So it would go and research the older laptop instead of the newer one. Cause it, it, right. it was so doing it, comparisons between the older version and the newer version, yeah. but the AI bot couldn't tell the difference of what was what. So it just kind of yeah. like merged it all together and made this, very good-looking, well-written mess. Yeah, so I could imagine, like, hey, if you were somebody who was trying to, you know, make your job a little more fast, expeditious, get that project done so you could spend some more time gaming, maybe, instead of having to work, and you're like, hey, I'll have the AI write it, and you get in front of your boss, and you do this presentation, and then they're like, everything you just said's wrong. I could see that experience happening with people. So, uh, you know, I love AI, I think it's amazing. I think there's a huge, amazing future for it. Uh, I'm happy about projects like NVIDIA guardrails and other yeah. things and people who are taking the time to put a pause on some of this because I think some people think it's further along than it actually is or trust it too much. And so that would be my uh, cautionary tale out there for people is 
it's one thing for us to do it on a show and it becomes a really good segment because of it, but in your real job that you could get fired for, probably not the best thing to solely rely on. We should yeah. do an, a test where we record a segment and leave it in and just blindly trust. Don't even scrub it at all. <laughs> blindly trust whatever it says. And then we'll have a, a challenge between and the, the audience and see how many flaws we can find Ooh, in that would be fun. this segment. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a good a, idea. I think that's a fun one. We might do we that. We'll also, in the beginning of that segment, tell people that's what's happening. Yeah. So yeah the whole from idea this point to segment. this point. <laughs> The whole idea behind that segment is I was going to tell everyone afterwards, hey, AI wrote that. Isn't it cool? Uh, that didn't work. Yeah. That didn't but work. if we tell them ahead of time, it will work better there. So, yeah. Well, what I exactly. found interesting is there was a, um, a great qu quote in the article uh, about NVIDIA guardwell guardrails. It, said, it states, these guardrails monitor, affect, and dictate a user's interactions, like guardrails on a highway that define the width of a road and keep vehicles from veering off into unwanted territory. And to me, all, all I could keep thinking about, it's like a modern-day curbs for the information superhighway. We're, we're doing this again. <laughs> we yeah. have to have curbs for the thing the is, I've seen a couple cars jump guardrails and flip <laughs> over them for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Not even rainy out or anything. They just hit it and flip. And, you know, I don't know. I, when, yeah. I, when I first saw this, instead of going the guardrails route, I decided to think about bowling with a little bumper rails for kids. Oh, yeah. That's what that I works. thought about too, Michael. Honestly. <laughs> really? That's so funny. <laughs> How embarrassing. You use them too? Excellent. I didn't say I use them. I just said oh. I know what they are. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I just revealed it's, too it's much. It's really great that people are starting to think about these frameworks that are needed to keep keep the the chat yeah. GPT in more check. accurate and in, in, in check. And yeah. <laughs> So NVIDIA makes it. Let's hope they utilize it out there. But Jill, there's another thing. We talked about using AI for colleges and things, but there's another college project I think that's very exciting, and it has to do with gaming. What's in our gaming section this week? Yeah. So what happens, Michael and Ryan, when you gather two producers, five artists, five engineers, four designers, and two musicians for 28 weeks together? They all fight and break up. <laughs> you create a really fun reality show called Can We Game It? Uh, yes. Will it game? <laughs> well, both of you are wrong this time. Oh, so. darn. Oh. Well, <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay. So, I kind of want to so, see that show now. <laughs> but the answer is you get a free-to-play game from the Graduate Games Lab at the University of Utah. Mm. And this project is 100% student-run and student-owned and nonprofit on top of that. And the game is called Echo of the Last Light. It's a beautiful game. In Echo of the Last Light, you play as Tamasis, a moth and a follower of the Humble Light, which is a group of moths dedicated to preserving the world's light. And your mission is to find the only remaining source of light, which is a creature that becomes your faithful companion. And you must bring the last light to the tree of humble light to save the world from the royal eclipse who seeks its destruction. And wow. I was really happy, you know, Ryan put this in the show notes and that it had released because I've had this on my wish list for a while. I've been following it. And again, this game is incredibly beautiful and very detailed for a small team project with a, a limited time and budget. They did a great job. And the character design is beautiful. The story is very unique. In the gameplay, has a nice combination of combat and puzzles. So I think this game kind of has a little something for everyone, <laughs> all, yeah. all, their, all their loves. Yeah, I love that this is a student-made project. Because I, yes. when I saw this, Jill, I wasn't aware of this game. But when I saw it, I instantly thought of you and all the work you did teaching animation yeah. and things in college. And what a great opportunity for these students to be able to come together. You got musicians, designers, engineers, artists, producers, all coming together in this college to create this student-run, student-owned game. And the results are gorgeous. This does not look like, this looks like a game they could easily release for a Nintendo Switch and charge 60 bucks for. Like it's yeah, absolutely, absolutely beautiful graphics out there. And 
I just love the idea that they also made it just completely free because it's a student project. Yeah. So anyone can go out there and download this and start playing it right now and enjoying it. And I hope we get more games like this coming from these university student bodies that you can see some of their talent and they could put real work in. But that's also the power of Steam. The fact that you could publish something to Steam yes. so quickly and so easily and get it out there. If you were going to distribute this across all the consoles and everything else, much, much more difficult uh, to accomplish there. So Steam offers a great platform to even do that type of thing. One of the things I like about this game is it's a very interesting concept. It's it's not like a rehashed con a game that you'd see many times. This is a unique approach to making a fun puzzle game. And also, it's free to play. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's not like a big corporation is behind it, but they also still released it as a free to play. So uh, this is like an easy choice. If you're wanting to play a game that's, you know, a unique style game and you don't have any barrier just to get started. Why not? Why wouldn't you play this game? Yeah, this is awesome. You know, it's funny, Ryan, that you you talked about me teaching because I've had my students do group projects where they've had to create games. And sometimes they have been phenomenal and they get, yeah. you know, featured on our gallery. And, and I've, I've uh, put some on YouTube and they've had, uh, um, oh, itch.io was another place oh, that yeah. some of them that could. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a great place too. Yeah. To distribute. And um, like more than a semester's worth of work, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And but what's cool is the job. next students that come in, the next line could create a version two or just do updates yeah. to this and keep oh, that'd be cool, yeah. packages and things out of it. So I hope they keep doing things like that. Now, Jill, you did test it on the Steam Deck and unfortunately yeah. wasn't working on the Steam Deck. I mean, I would say go complain, but it was free. So yeah, there's that. But <laughs> it, it launches on the Steam Deck, but when you try and play it, it goes to a black screen and you yeah. hear the music in the background. And, and that's kind of a, a you know, they've, they probably didn't test it on the Steam Deck, so you right. can't blame them there. But I tested it on my my new Fedora 38 box with an NVIDIA GPU, and it worked beautifully. Very nice. <laughs> nice. Well, our software spotlight this week, well, it's related to Fedora, I think, very heavily. Because mm -hmm. we're going to talk about flat packs, And flat packs are the bee's knees. As you yes. know, the bee's knees. Yes. <laughs> okay, I want to communicate so hip, to the Ryan, younger with generation your, with your vinyl yeah. and bee's knees. <laughs> so I'm, we're trying to bring a younger generation into the podcast and we need to start using terms like that, Michael, to kind of get them in here. So I wanted to talk yeah. about flat hub uh, because flat hub is a place to explore all the thousands of flat packs available. And the reason it's in our software spotlight is because the team has done an amazing job revamping the entire site. So we talked about Fedora 38 site, the flat hub site also had a revamp. The new flat hub design is much cleaner and it does a great job. I think of focusing on the software itself and it's just very easy to navigate. It's very easy on the eyes. It's very beautiful. Whoever they have doing these sites definitely has an amazing eye, that team for visuals and things and how to get people's attention in the right spots. Uh, you have categories for new, recently updated, verified, popular apps, and there's also a sticky header bar. So as you're scrolling down, looking at the various sections, you can still just be like, eh, I just want to search for this thing anyways, or get to the information that you need at the top. So again, really good design choices. Uh, but my favorite feature is the statistics page, which allows you to see the popularity of flat packs. Example, some of the statistics that are up there when I checked this morning was total of 991,000, no, sorry, 991,725,211 downloads. Wow. That's a lot of downloads. That's like almost a billion. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me and Almost math. a billion. You're good at <laughs> yeah, math. Thank you. Just and total desktop apps that they had was 2,086. That's almost 2,090. That is almost 2,090. <laughs> You're so good at this. Thank you. Thank you. So if you want to check out, if you haven't checked out FlatHub in a while, go check out the website. It's got a lot of shiny new polish and goodness that's there. It's also a great way to go explore and find new apps uh, that are available as flat packs. So flathub.org. Check it out. The tip of the week is going to be interesting because we're going to be talking about some actual news that came out recently that is related to Google's Authenticator not being into and encrypted. Ryan kind of mentioned this earlier in the Bitwarden section, 
and mentioned how important it is for encryption to be there, and especially when it's a security-focused piece of software, such as you would think the Google Authenticator would be. And therefore, it's also vulnerable to certain attacks without this end-to-end encryption. While Google says they plan to add E2E or end-to-end encryption, at some point, why even use a service that can't get it right after all these years of existing? This is the question. Like They're like, hey, we're going to add this in, but we don't have it now because like it could lock people out. But you're saying you're going to add it in, which still means people will get locked out. This is just marketing, in my opinion, Ryan's opinion, this is marketing nonsense for, oh, you caught us not doing end-to-end encryption so we could actually see all these keys of all the passcodes and things that you had set up. And now that you caught us, we're like, oh yeah, we totally plan to add that feature in, but we don't want people to get locked out of their accounts and stuff. So we're still going to add the feature where people will still get locked out of their accounts and stuff, but yeah, we'll add it later. What? No. (laughs) It also reminds me of when Google announced that they were no longer going to be like searching through people's email and Gmail. I was like, oh, that's great that you're not doing thing that you've been doing for 15 years and probably already have everything anyway. So yeah, sure. Anyway, so after talking with a patron about this, we realized that some people might not be aware that Bitwarden itself has an authenticator built right in. So our tip of the week this week is to use Bitwarden for this. Sure, they're our sponsor, but also we've been using Bitwarden for many years and way before they became a sponsor. And one of the things that we think is one of the best things about it is that they have so many cool features, including temporary one-time passwords with their Bitwarden authenticator built right into the system. Now, there's also some issues with some people being tricked by Google Authenticator because websites would just say to use Google Authenticator, making it confusing for people to think that it's the only option they have. And when you get to these sites, you find the option that reveals the token code and just put that into the temporary one-time password section of your Bitwarden or whatever you're using, and then hit save. And this will generate the same type of code that you can use from anything, you know, Google Authenticator or not. And instead, have this thing called security in your system. I mean, wow. crazy right now, Amazing. right? Yeah. Now, Misk, a cybersecurity expert, tweeted this warning out after Google updated its Authenticator, which is what kind of caused this controversy, saying the new update allows users to sign in with their Google account and sync 2FA secrets across their iOS and Android devices. And that's that sync feature is what was new and not end-to-end encrypted. We analyze the network traffic when the app syncs the secrets, and it turns out the traffic is not end-to-end encrypted, as shown in the screenshots that they had in the tweet. And this means that Google can use these secrets, likely even while they're stored on their servers. There's no option to add a passphrase to protect the secrets to make them accessible only by the user. So very simple fix you could put in there to add the passphrase, but they don't do that. So that's kind of how they got caught. And then when they got caught, Google's product manager, Christian Brand, addressed it on Twitter uh, saying, we're always focused on the safety and security of Google users. <laughs> and the newest updates to Google Authentic, I feel like these responses from people at an executive positions are all written by ChatGPT. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're all or the a marketing same. team that yes. just outsourced everything to ChatGPT. Yeah. And the newest updates to Google Authenticator was no exception. Even though we're literally talking about the exception. The fact of, that it is an exception, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our goal is to offer features that protect users, except this one, but are useful and convenient, Brand said. We encrypt data in transit and at rest across our products, including in Google Authenticator, end-to-end encryption's powerful feature provides extra protection, but the cost of enabling users to get locked out of their own data without recovery. So it's like, hey, we encrypt stuff, but it's not end-to-end. And because we do that so that you can recover your stuff uh, because people in general are stupid, which I don't disagree with that fact that people could be stupid, but you don't have a true security. I mean, the people who are using an authenticator tool are probably aware of this as an issue, you know, because they even know that an authenticator tool exists, you know. Right. And it's not like you can actually get a hold of Google support. Who are we kidding? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, how are you going to get it reset? Most people were like, well, I, you know, everything's destroyed. It's ruined. You know, yeah. that's that's the reaction with Google. 
But it also makes me laugh about how it says that it's it's encrypted in transit. Yeah, like everything is at this point. Like yeah. it's HTTPS, <laughs> everything is encrypted in transit because it, like not doing that would be ridiculous and going back 15 years. I'm sorry, so, Michael, you missed this. Let me reread it to you. You're, you're embarrassing yourself here. He said, okay. we're always focused on the safety and security of Google users. So uh, always, okay. Always, okay. Michael. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Um, sorry, I missed that part the first time. Yeah. Uh, now I'm very confident <laughs> in what you've just um, said there. Always. Yeah. <laughs> to, to Google, Always. convenience is more important than safety. Yes. yes, convenience is more important than safety. And that's how we got into this security disaster that we're all in right now. In our opinion. In our opinion. Clear. All of this is all our opinion. Yeah. Yes, totally. Go away, Google lawyers. All Go right. away, Google lawyers. <laughs> A big and your chat, GPT. <laughs> to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. Join us on Discord. I mean it. Go to tuxdigital.com slash Discord. If you do want to show live, you become a patron of Destination Linux and be here with these other fine folks. You get to watch the show get recorded live. They're here with us right now. They can like yeah. interject and jump in. And guess what? Zebedee Zeb is in here. Is here <laughs> this week. Which makes me very excited. I got. This I have awesome. to admit, I got a little emotional when I heard his voice for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait till after the show where he insults me with some Britishism, which will make me even happier. We're gonna have a chin <laughs> wag with Zeb a later. Chin wag. Yes. I can't yes. wait. Has to happen. <laughs> so speaking of which, we have our glorious patrons with us right now in the live stream, and they're gonna be joining us in the patron-only post show. And if you want to join us for that in the future, you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to sign up. And also you can go to the Tux Digital store by going to tuxdigital.com slash store to get some awesome swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, hats, stickers, coasters, and the list goes on and on. There is so much more you can get at the tuxdigital.com slash store. And make sure to check out all the incredible shows here on Tux Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon. Everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these awesome shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody, have a great week. Have a week. great week. And remember... That the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> you tried to steal it because I stole it from you the week before. <laughs> exactly. <You need> <laughs> come back. You're a scumbag, Michael. <laughs> Let me ask Chat GPT why Michael's a scumbag. Hold on. <laughs> oh. Don't look at that. It's, that's nonsense information that it will claim to be confident about. <laughs> so why don't even is worry Michael about the such responses. a scumbag? Aww. Says who's Michael? Fair. Okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>